Hi everyone, just a little note before we start because unfortunately I have done something rather silly. Recently I bought a new very shiny microphone that I was incredibly excited to use in a guested episode. So I plugged it in, got it set up, or well at least so I thought, and everything seemed to be going well. We recorded for about two hours as I have split this discussion into two episodes. One relatively spoiler-free one for today, and one spoiler-filled one for tomorrow. Then, just as we finished, I realised that the microphone was not switched on, and we had recorded the whole thing on my laptop's microphone. As this was a guested episode, unfortunately I wasn't really able to re-record, partly because it wasn't really fair for my guest, and partly because on a second recording all of the organicness of the conversation would have been gone. Since then, I have been working really hard to get the quality as good as possible, and I do think it's at an acceptable level considering. But if the recording sounds robotic or wavery in places, this is why. I am really sorry about that, and I do hope that it is not too distracting. But regardless, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Okay, let's get on with it. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. A film I've been looking forward to for, I think, about four years? In terms of the format of the episode, it's going to be a little bit different. So, first of all, I'm joined by guest Oliver Reza. Hello. Yeah, hello. Thank you very much for having me on again. Thank you for bringing me on to come and review this wonderful film. Well, that's the thing. Obviously, I think it's no secret I've been looking forward to this film for a while. I really want it to be good. Every film up until now has been dreadful. That I've made you endure, I mean. You have, yeah. Yeah, now are we going to try and break the mould of this one? We'll see, I guess, won't we? <laughs> um, as people will be aware from the episode title, this is the first one of two parts. And I've done that for a very specific reason. Ultimately, Pert, I felt there was a lot more spoilers in the second half of the film than the first half. So this episode is coming out today, unsurprisingly, and part two is going to come out tomorrow. And that one's going to have a heap of spoilers, which is why I split it into two. It's it's very hard to review this film without going into spoiler territory, I yeah. feel, because uh, a lot happens in it that's going to change your impression of, of the film in general, which needs to get talked about. But obviously starting it with a part one, where we try to avoid that and maybe just go into some of the background might be the best way of doing it. I mean, it, it's. I think it's very important to, when reviewing this, it's important to actually go into the spoiler territory because I do think that's going to change your impression around how the film film goes. Yes. Um. Obviously, we'll we'll we can give our impressions in part one and talk about some of the backstory, which I know you've got some wonderful facts to tell me. About. <laughs> um. But yeah, then we'll obviously for your part two. I think that's where we're going to go into a bit more detail. But I will say this isn't really a spoiler so much. But like for part two, I just remember there was one particular point where. I was both smiling and laughing, and I didn't know what I was watching. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, yeah. We won't go into any more no. than that. No, I think I know which bit you're on about. Uh, it's pretty blatant. <laughs> um, yeah, so instead of like doing that, there's not going to be any historical accuracy section. Instead, what's going to happen is later on when this film is on Disney+, Plus, I'll probably do another review just to see if it still holds up in a few months' time. And I'll do the historical accuracy section then, because then I can fast forward and rewind and all that and do it properly, basically. Yeah. But we're just going to... Actually, first, I'm going to start on my dramatic introduction. Okay? So here we go. Okay. Right. You are a famous archaeologist whose adventures have become a thing of legend. However, those days are long gone, and it feels as if you have lost everything. You now spend your days drinking as you think about your failed marriage and the life you used to have. However, soon someone you have not seen in many years will return to your life, bringing back adventure. In this one final hurrah, you shall return to your glory days, as you seek 
the dial of destiny. Sound, sounds like a horoscope, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does a little bit. Yeah. It's like every single person hearing that is probably going to be going, oh, that's me. Oh, that's it. Oh, no, no dial of destiny. Though. By the way, while we're on the subject, uh, can I just read your palm? Yes, please go ahead. Yeah. Good luck with that. Well, I mean... Very big palm. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I did do my master's dissertation on Oracle, so I guess I've got some precedent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, let's have a look at some of the background information, shall we? Okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I've tried to avoid reading anything about it, just yeah. so you can tell me what's, what's uh, going on. And I hope you are not reading what's on the screen. Oh, no, my, I've not got my glasses on. I might be doing Okay, so the first one's just to give you a bit more of appreciation for how much Harrison Ford put into this. Mm. So Harrison Ford would embark on 40-mile bike rides and daily walks to get in shape for this film. Okay, yeah. Which is that's uh, actually very impressive for what was he eighty two? Uh, I think he's eighty one. I want to say, okay. but during the filming of this, uh, he was seventy nine. All oh, right, okay. Uh, so the filming took place a little while ago, then. This film. The we're going to get into that with the other facts a little bit. Yeah, okay. But um, yeah, essentially, the the this has been an incredibly stop start production. Mm. Um, and I can guess as to why. <laughs> okay, uh, here's one that will make you go. Thank goodness this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and maybe maybe you disagree. For me, it's a thank goodness this didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Chris Pratt and Bradley Cooper were both rumoured for the role of Indiana Jones. Now, I I'm aware of this. I think this was going around for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as much as I like Chris Pratt, he's he's no Harrison Ford, and I don't think he is able to convey the same sort of character that Harrison Ford could in there. The things I will say for him. I think he does have charisma. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think look-wise, if he were to put on a suit, he would look the part. Yeah. But there's just that thing that he doesn't have, and that not many people do have, that only Harrison Ford sort of does. Well, how would you describe it? So Indiana Jones definitely has a a sort of manly charisma about him that you really don't see. in a, Well, even for the films at the time, to be honest, there's something about him that just comes across as gruff and very very manly in approach yeah and it's i can't think of many actors that are able to portray that as well as harrison ford did in his heyday i think the thing with chris pratt as well is his films tend to have a different sense of humor not oh, that, yeah yeah by any means but it's not indiana jones and i think he would struggle maybe i'm wrong but i think he would have struggled with the level of like humor to seriousness yeah i mean Chris Pratt's been in some more serious stuff lately where, I mean, I've, I've not seen them, but I know he was in an action film recently that got very good reviews and I think he got quite well praised for his role in that. Okay. But I can't see it. I cannot see him being it. And I think the problem is, is that Indiana Jones is so ingrained yeah. with Harrison Ford that I just don't think it, it would ever go down well, regardless of you. Well, Harrison Ford has actually said that the role is going to die with him. Okay. Like, no one else is going to play it. I think... Um, I'm a big fan of the young Indiana Jones, which does have someone else playing Indiana Jones as a young version. How surprising. But that, I guess that makes sense, though, doesn't it? I think it's also the fact that they didn't get a big Hollywood actor to play him. They just got a very solid actor who was quite likeable, who did sort of have that feel that he could grow up to be Indiana Jones, and yeah. so it worked for that reason. Mm -hmm. If people haven't watched the young Indiana Jones, I was really annoyed because I thought it was coming onto Disney Plus, and it's not. Uh, maybe well in the future, but it's actually well worth the purchase of the DVDs. I think they're really they're really fun. Well, I will have to check it out. You've talked about that quite a lot. Mm. I've never gone around to watching it. Some questionable acting, some questionable cool. writing, but George Lucas actually had a very big part in the writing of it, so it does still have that sort right. of charm to it, even yeah. though it's not necessarily the George Lucas. Yeah. The George Lucas charm. You sit there thinking this is absolutely dreadful, and yet love it anyway. Yeah, it's like it's like the prequels. Well, I think well, I don't know about for me. Like I've gone through the watching it originally, going, "What is this?" I sort of like it. Then going through the, I really don't like the prequels. Then going, they're so charming. <laughs> I the the more I watch the prequels, the more utterly uh, charmed I am by them. I think they're just delightful to watch, especially because you know they're not great. It's good. <laughs> um, although I do stand by that the uh, the third one is a lot better than people claim it is. I, I agree. I, I, I actually hold it to just a uh, good film. Although um, I watched it again recently and the amount of memes in that final lightsaber fight is it's just incredible. The entire prequel series is memes. <laughs> Every single section of both films is memes. Yeah, I did a, a rewatch of like the entire... It was probably a couple of months ago now of like all three of them. And the one that I enjoyed when I thinking I was going to because it was the one that I legitimately didn't like was Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Still think it's a great film. Oh no, yeah. Yeah. But... 
you get obviously that scene where it's like, oh, I hate sand. It's coarse and it's rough and it gets up. My favourite line of dialogue in anything ever. But the thing that really made me laugh about that is the very next scene is just frolic, uh, frolicking. <laughs> you couldn't be more like childish at the uh, time. It's so wonderful. It's like, I don't understand like how George Lucas has no idea how a relationship works or forms. I don't know. Well, I think I think George Lucas is like a unique being in himself. I think he's uh, got a very unique perspective on the world, and it's always charming to see that come into fruition. It's almost like he has grown up and he's learned lots of talents, but he's kind of kept like that childish side, which yeah. I think is why it is so charming. Yeah. But I, I don't know. There's also just that untold thing that I just don't understand. Oh, no, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I can sit here and talk about the three any, films. Yeah. We are getting sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's have a look at this next one. This was the only Indiana Jones film in the series not to be directed by um, Steven Spielberg and not to be written by George Lucas. Okay. Um, although Steven Spielberg, I think George Lucas is as well. They're both uh, executive producers in the credits. Mm. And the decision to step away was entirely Steven Spielberg's. Oh, that's yeah. a, did yeah. he give his reason as to why he decided to step away? Because I'm, I'm aware that this film went through quite a few different directors before landing on their final one. He's with James Marigold? Marigold? Yes. Uh, yeah, so he was literally a fantastic director. I mean, I know it's the one everyone says, but Logan, great film. Yeah. Yeah, but Steven Spielberg hasn't said exactly why he left. He's kind of left that bit open, which admittedly, when that first happened, I was like, oh, it's going to be bad, isn't it? That's why he set the way. But he did watch the film later, and he gave it his blessing, and he said, it's a very good Indiana Jones film. Okay. There's also a part of me that thinks he's the executive producer. Mm. Of course he's going to say that. Of course, yeah. It's like when you hear Harrison Ford uh, talking about this film, even like on the build-up. He's not going to say it's rubbish, is he? No. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to have the lead actor just uh, during all the advertisements go, yeah, you shouldn't watch it. It's terrible. It's was it? really bad. I know we seem to be talking about Star Wars a lot during this, but wasn't that the same thing that um, Mark Hamill yeah. um, did during the um, the second Star Wars? Yeah, essentially. Um, I mean, I don't know how much of it is fact, but I know that obviously in the build-up, where he's the lead actor in it, he's got to you know, play a part in marketing. Yeah. It's obviously required, but it was after the film came out, I'm aware that he had a very different view around how he thought they handled his character and how the the direction of the films as well. So. I still have a controversial take on the um, the Last Jedi. Mm. I feel it was a film that needed to be justified by the next one, and my problem with it is it wasn't. No, no, I think it's uh, a good point. I don't think uh, it takes away from the fact that I feel like they, you know, destroyed a lot of legacy characters in there. Well, but. Um, yeah, the fact that the, the follow-up of it essentially completely rewrote everything that happened in that movie, like, killed its chances. So it's, uh, I think it's important to talk about this, though, because obviously this is another LucasArts production mm. back in the heyday. And from how Disney's handled the LucasArts brand and the products that they've made, it's not exactly been glowing, has it's, it? It's, it's weird because, again, I hold... I'm not going to say too much about this film yet because it'll come up later. But I feel when it comes to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, they've got a very George Lucas and Steven Spielberg feel to their films, a charm that can't be explained, but it's there. Yeah. And I think it's a very hard thing to replicate. The only thing in recent times that I can think does kind of replicate it is Stranger Things. Okay, yeah. I think that has a very Steven Spielberg feel to it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, in terms of like style... Yeah, because it's very similar to Goonies, isn't it? Yeah. That's how everyone's always referred to it. Um, yeah, no, very good point, actually. But um, I can't think of anything else that has that same charm. Mm. I know, uh, I think they tried to replicate it with that film called Super 8. I think it's called Super 8, um, which is about, you know, this train crashes next to this like rural town in America and this monster escapes from it. And obviously it follows the kids during that. But I don't think that quite gets the same sense. But also, isn't that written by Steven Spielberg? I think that's directed by him. Right, actually. No, it's not directed because it's directed by, um, yeah, it's directed by J.J. Abrams. Um, yeah, I don't know whether Spielberg did have a hand in that. Oh, fair enough. Um, okay. But, yeah. I was always under the impression he did. I guess maybe that means they did a good job of it. But I've actually not seen the film, so. No, I, I think it's worth a, a watch. I, I tried it's decent, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just getting super up at the moment to see if Spielberg does have any connection to it. It does. It's co-produced with Steven Spielberg. Oh, there we go. So, um, yeah. So, okay, you can see Spielberg's influence in that film. Yeah. So maybe he was a bit of an advisor as well, maybe. No, yeah. Mm. Well, if you're, if you're a producer, I 
that's where I see you as actually having some pull over the film. If you're an executive producer, like that's more of one. Yeah, that's more like, thank you for your contribution. Yeah. But don't talk to us anymore. But also, like, you'd have to ask, if you've got Steven Spielberg, I would be going to him constantly if I was making a film and he was in mm. any way connected. Well, I just, uh, uh, every time I see someone who's registered as an executive producer, it's more almost more like it's... Um, it's an honorary thing. Yeah, essentially. I don't think they actually, I don't know how much actual input they provide when you're an executive producer. It's more that they probably walked over to you and went, hey, what's your thoughts on this? And you went, um, it's I, fine. I have a feeling with, with this particular film, like Indiana Jones, I mean, uh, I think, first of all, you can't really not have Steam Spielberg attached in any way. No. Um, but I, I reckon it was probably his way of, his choice to like just have that minor role. Like, you know... Oh, yeah, because he obviously he was brought in to direct it initially, wasn't he? Yeah. And he obviously decided to come away from the project. Well, so. what's actually really interesting is when, in 1979, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas of Paramount Pictures agreed to make five Indiana Jones films. Okay, yeah. Now, obviously, that technically didn't happen. This film isn't Paramount, it's Disney. Yeah. Uh, it's not done by George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. But there are five films now. So kind of half got there, I guess. Yeah, in a way. Uh, they actually did meet their final quota. Yeah. Why did they not continue after the third film then? What was the reason for that? Um, it's actually quite simple. They just didn't, uh, they couldn't think of a good plot device for the next film. Mm. So they left it for some time. Yeah, it's a valid enough reason. The yeah. point of making another one, if you can't think of anything compelling to yeah. actually make it for. Yeah. But it was actually after that release, that's why we got the young Indiana Jones. Um, oh, right. Okay. It was because they, they had that gap and they wanted something to fill it. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But what's cool about the Indiana Jones, it was actually supposed to be educational. Okay. So there's a lot more. Um, I actually want to do a couple of episodes from the podcast at some point. There's a lot more focus on actual world history. And mm. it's a little bit silly, but basically, but not not basically, literally in every episode, he meets someone famous just by chance. <laughs> so there's like one where he meets Picasso, for instance. Oh, yeah. Another one, the best one. Well, the best slash worst one. It's the one everyone goes to is like the best one. For me, it's a little bit too ridiculous, but I will admit I can appreciate it. Mm. There's one where he battles Dracula. Oh. Like, okay. legitimately he fights Dracula. Right, okay. <laughs> I mean, you could probably, you know, because obviously Indiana Jones was quite a big tangent into the, you know, of, you know, the mystical or the fantasy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one because the first two seasons have nothing supernatural in them. They're just uh, mm. the first season's him as a child, yeah, and he's traveling with his parents. Yeah, the second season is him in World War One, where he's fighting for the Belgian army. Okay, and then the third one's where he starts getting like the hat, and you start getting a few like supernatural elements occasionally creeping in. Mm-hmm. And the one with Dracula is definitely the one where they just go, ah, damn it, like just put it all over. There's no crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm amazed it's not more divisive to be honest with you because everyone I know who watches that show is like that episode was fantastic yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just watch it and go it's it's badly done in my opinion <laughs> but I appreciate they, they made it because yeah. I, I love just that crossover <laughs> <laughs> anyway right on to the next fact yep so the initial release date for this film was July 19th 2019 Wow, okay. So they missed it by just a little bit. Just a, just a few years, yeah. In fact, hmm. the filming did not start until June 4th, 2021. Wow, okay. So it started filming about two years after the initial release date. <laughs> well, so uh, my original thoughts was that, you know, the COVID pandemic probably had a massive impact it, on it the did. for it. But I guess where it was meant to come out in 2019, hmm. what was holding it back then? What was the issue? Because I know it went through multiple directors and probably rewrites and everything. It's that. Basically, that is yeah. the reason. Mm. Um, I don't think we're ever going to fully know, to be honest. No. Uh, um, it went through a lot of rewrites. Um, and actually, that kind of leads me on to my next point a little bit. Actually, no. Okay. I'm going to save that one because you said something in the cinema and you were pretty dead on with what you said. Okay. And I think it's going to be better to come up in the episode. Okay. But a little, little spoiler for the uh, listeners out there. Not spoiler into the film, into this the next episode, I want to point out. That's going to be in the next episode, not this one. <laughs> uh, that is a very spoiler-heavy part of the, of the film. 
All right. So uh, the final um, point I want to say is that when this film was released, Indiana Jones was 80 years old and just two weeks away from his 81st birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. This makes him the oldest person to play a lead role in a Disney film ever. Really? Yes. Oh, right. The previous record holder was was Richard Farmsworth, who was 79 at the time of the Straight Story 1999's release. No idea what that film is, by the way. Never, I've never heard of that one before. No. Um, right. Uh, that basically brings an end to the background information section. Mm-hmm. So now we're just going to go over the first half of the film, and we're going to stop at the point where the spoilers start massively creeping in. Yeah. And that will be next week's episode. Then. Yeah. So there will be some stuff in there in this episode that may be a little bit spoiler territory, but it's really, as you said, in the part two yeah. when things become a little bit crazy. Yeah. We'll try and avoid anything too big, but it's unavoidable. We're going yeah. to be talking yeah. about elements of the film, so there's going to be things in there. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little warning. Right, so the film starts with Harrison Ford, a young Harrison Ford. Yes. A de-aged Harrison Ford. Yeah, de-aged Harrison Ford. Mm. It starts with him and he's basically got a bag on his head and he's being carried by Nazis into sort of like a castle. Yeah. And then he gets put on a chair and they're basically interrogating him. They want to know why he's there. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of this initial introduction, Carl? Um, it's... <laughs> So I think my my biggest takeaway from it is um, Disney's done some good jobs when it comes to de-aging in the past. Like, for instance, Samuel L. Jackson in the Captain Marvel film. I think it's probably the best they've ever done. Agreed. De-aging. The problem with this one is that, I think as you said when we were watching it, when the shots are static and Harrison Ford is still, it looks good. It's a little bit uncanny valley, but it's still good. And they've done a very good job of it. But any time motion comes into play is when you start to see it faltering. And I think the biggest takeaway is, is that obviously they're trying to portray him as Indiana Jones in the, you know, the mid forties. Yeah. But it's very clearly still played by a 78 year old man <laughs> in the way that he moves and talks. Yeah. Definitely. The way that he says his dialogue, you can tell that this is an older man saying it. And then whenever he's engaged in any sort of motion, you know, you know it's not a younger younger man, essentially, in the way that it just kind of comes across. Yeah. It's kind of hard to describe without seeing it, but obviously as you get older, your, your motion becomes a bit slower, your range of motion is more limited. Your back hunches a bit. Yeah, your back hunches a little bit more. Um, you know, your voice tends to be a little bit deeper or... Or another word, to be honest, like... Gruffer. Gruffer, yeah. Yeah, you, you can hear it more in, in someone that's older. Um, and that all comes across over the CGI, yeah, but it just makes it feel a bit... Mm, it doesn't really work. I'm definitely not saying they should have done what I'm about to say. Okay. Because I don't think they should have no. resisted any technology. But it would have almost been better if they'd gotten a young person and then just de-aged Harrison Ford over the top of them. Potentially. I mean, that would have been horrendous, don't get me wrong. Oh, no, that probably would have come pretty... Yeah, I mean, that's still, uh, that probably would have been a more expensive progress than the actual de-aging thing is basically planting his face onto it mm. because um you know it's I, obviously i don't know how how expensive like the whole cgi sort of stuff is but i can imagine that actually trying to plant harrison ford onto another actor would have been quite a difficult process to do yes and no mm. because basically in terms of i don't know in fully i'm just going on like interviews i've had yeah so essentially what they did they took archive footage of Harrison Ford throughout his career, including a lot of scenes that had never been used before. Yeah. And because he's done so many films, there was a lot to pick from. Yeah. But they, they picked the shots that had the right lighting for the, and the right age, and yeah. they basically just splattered it on the face. Splattered it right on, okay. Um, I, I'm going to guess it is a lot more complicated, like you say, when it's another person playing the part, because um, he had to have like dots over his face. And of course, yeah. That did something, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. The thing I, I noticed most, in, outside of the things you said, which are, you know, absolutely true, by the way the hair moved, okay. it kind of didn't quite, it looked too fine. Yeah. It was very wavy and like... Do you feel like the hair was CGI as well then, on hair? I don't know. I, it wasn't natural, let's put it that way. Mm, you're probably right then. And I also felt like the facial expressions looked a little bit 
toned down. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It didn't ruin the film by any no. means, but the, the the interviews you've seen where like they're saying, oh, it's, it looks like Harrison Ford when he's younger, it's incredible. It's, yeah, um, there's been better, there's definitely been better takes on the de-aging. Yeah. Things like, um, was it The Irishman? Is that what it's called? You know, with um, Robert De Niro. I've not seen that one. And Al Pacino. So that's really good. Dan, that does that does the de-aging incredibly well. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Samuel L. Jackson in Captain Marvel film does a fantastic job of that. It may just be how far back they de-aged him. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you can still, with Samuel L. Jackson, you know, I think he's he's quite capable of playing like a much younger person, I feel. I always forget he's quite old now, to be honest. Yeah, I regularly forget that yeah. the man is something, yeah, he's like in his, what, 70s now? Something like that. But yeah. you just don't think of him that way. No, no, not at all. No. Yeah, so anyway, this leads on to a big, basically, people are trying to escape the base. Yeah. And a bomb basically falls through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. It lands in the ground and then starts falling down the down like the levels before exploding. Yeah. Whilst this is going on, the Nazis are basically tied a noose around Indiana Jones's neck <laughs> and they're planning on hanging him. Yeah. Basically. Well, so they've they've brought him up to like the attic of the castle and are going to interrogate him. And Indiana Jones is saved by a giant like giant bomb falling through the ceiling. And I mean, because that's all computer effects as well. Yeah. And even that looks a bit off i don't know why like it slowly falls through the floor because it's caught on a carpet gets like wrapped around it and drops down but that whole cgi just looks a bit odd and i feel like they could have done a better job if they'd done it practically yeah you know i actually have a theory about this and i will say it's just a theory but i've I've thought it in other films as well Mm. i have a feeling when they know the cgi isn't quite up to scratch in a film Mm. they deliberately downgrade other parts to try and make it less so Really? I don't, like I said, that's just my theory. Mm. I don't know if that's true, but I've noticed, like, okay, like, take The Hobbit, for instance. Yeah. You go Lord of the Rings, it's quite clearly a film. Like, the way it's filmed is using real landscape and that. And then they've got subtle CGI and it works quite well. Mm. Then you get to The Hobbit. And you notice, I, I personally feel, even when they're, like, going through the real landscape, it's almost like they downgraded it and things aren't quite the way they yeah. look. Yeah, and it's it's especially telling when you've got older films in a wider series that somehow look better than the modern day CGI. Mm. Yeah, and I think it, it may just be like over reliance on using computer effects nowadays. Yeah, I, quite good at p- picking them out. I I think to be honest with you, I'm not against CGI. No, I I just think the way we're using it right now is going to age horribly. Oh no, yeah, um, I think it will. Yeah. But anyway, mm. let's move on because uh, we got a lot of films together. We do, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so basically, he escapes from the noose and he comes down. You know, like he puts on a, a Nazi uniform to try and escape, mm. and he gets into where he basically punches a guy in the face, pulls him out of a car. Of course, Indiana Jones, of course, yeah, first guy to happen. Yeah, but then um, some Nazis get in the back, thinking he's like the driver, mm. and he has to like. He basically speeds off and he does a train and he knows that the artifact, which I'm not going to say because there aren't too many spoilers. Yeah. But they know we know that the artifact he's after is on that train. Yeah. And it basically leads to the whole sequence where he goes off route to chase the train. You've got the Nazis in the back who are going insane, mm. takes out like a couple of bikes. And you realize that he's going rogue as a what? Very, a very uh, like typical uh, Indiana Jones yeah. routine, isn't it? But ultimately, it ends with him jumping on the train and like running along the top. Whereas we yeah. leave it there for now. Yeah. So he obviously going onto the train and running atop with what I probably will have to say is the worst bit of seat oh, in the entire band. <laughs> I laughed a lot. Yeah. I I didn't expect to have a giggle while watching a man jump over a carriage in CGI form, but. It looked like something from a PlayStation era game, it where really it's like did. a pre-rendered cutscene and someone's jumped over, or jumped over an obstacle. It just didn't look good. I did it. Found it funny. First of all, he jumped too high. Second of all, he was just running, and it just yeah, like he didn't even bend his knees. Like, but... Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's just like someone's got a PlayStation controller, just mash the A button. Yeah, it's done like a little hop and gone over. Yeah, so obviously this is uh, uh, he. The main reason for him doing this is that they're trying to recover stolen artifacts from the Nazis towards like the tail end of World War Two, um, and he's there with um, his colleague Basil Shaw, 
who is going to be important later in the story. And uh, he's a British archaeologist who has come over to support him and try to recover artifacts. Not entirely sure why they've sent him into a combat situation, considering he's very clearly not intended for that purpose. But um, obviously, they, they find loads of artifacts on the train, don't they? Mm. And uh, this is where we're introduced to who will be the main villain of the story, uh, Maz Mikkelsen. <laughs> I actually quite liked him as a no. bad guy. I thought he did a good job. Yeah. I think I really like Maz Mikkelsen. He's, he, I can't ever imagine him playing a good guy. No. But in other things possible. He's very good as a villain. Yeah. So he plays the um, uh, Jürgen Voller, yeah. who is uh, obviously a Nazi scientist. And they brought him on to try and identify some of the artifacts. And in this process, he discovers that one of the throwaway artifacts there is the Dial of Destiny. So, yeah, the uh, Archimedes style. So he finds one half of the Archimedes style, and obviously Mads Mikkelsen, being the doctor that he is, re- recognises this. He yeah. tries to convince his superiors that the Archimedes style is far more valuable than anything else they've got on there. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of, he gets a lot of uh, Nazis talking him down quite yeah, significantly. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, Indy discovers this as well and realises what they have. Same with his colleagues as well. And uh, the rest of the scene is then retrieving it from the train. Mm-hmm. Shooting lots of bad guys, blowing them all up with an anti-aircraft gun. And then man's people seen getting absolutely swapped in the face by a train <laughs> sign, which that was funny. Which was, was quite an amazing sound that, that, made his, that his head made when that hit him. When that happened, I just thought, like, if I hadn't seen like things before i'd have assumed that was him dead that yeah kind of, i the way it's done it feels like he just got killed no spoiler <laughs> i mean to be honest you're not much of a spoiler you're not going to get him on for like a tie the one thing i do really i don't know what it is but he he's just made for an indiana jones film yeah. like like i just i don't know i but he just is yeah um this whole scene we just do like the the introduction as a whole. Yeah. First of all, I thought Basil um, was, I thought he was quite a, a sweet little character in mm. a weird way. Like he was, he, I liked him. Yeah. Well, he's he's very similar to like the Marcus Brody sort of character. Yeah. In the that's, original film. That's a really good point. Actually. You know, he's he's obviously a well trained archaeologist, uh, but unlike Indy, he's not versed to like these combat situations yeah. essentially. And I think he's. Another one of those good foils that uh, Indiana Jones gets through most of the original films. Yeah. I think my feelings on the scene, I did enjoy it. Like, I think the the aging did take me out of it a little bit, but yep. it was kind of interesting to watch how they were doing it. Mm. <laughs> the bit where they were walking through and he was just going, oh, that's fake, genuine, genuine, genuine. I don't know if he just points out and goes, Ramses the second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What? He's a he's a professor of archaeology, Peter, and he's he knows his stuff. Just knows that he can like, answer at something and recognise exactly what it is. <laughs> I love the fact that like you see all of this like treasure, which you know like would be incredible to see. Yeah, as you know, it's just that. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you know he's uh, he's gone on there to try and save his friend, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, and he's uh, that ultimately that becomes the main thing he tries to do on the train. It's like oh, the arc. Yeah. Artifacts now become second. But yeah, a friend's been captured, and I need to save it. I did like one bit where he, you know, because he's in his Nazi uniform, and he comes into like the cabin, and two people salute him. Yeah, he, and I like the fact that in this bit, they're first of all taking him quite seriously, but then one of them sees like there's a bullet hole. Yeah, right through his uniform. I yeah. thought that was a nice little detail. That was a little detail. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I was also like about it. I I still enjoyed it, regarding regardless of the questionable de aging effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I still thought it was a good sequence. My my way of looking at this would be, I think, of the Indiana Jones intros, which famously are awesome, mm. it was probably my least favourite, okay. but I still thought it was really good. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Mm. Yeah, because I guess what what are the what are the other ones that we're working with? Because obviously the, the first one is him doing, you know... Boulder scene. The yeah. boulder scene, which is absolutely it's, awesome. It's iconic. The yeah. second one is uh, where Temple of Dewey waves in China. Is his, uh, yeah. Shanghai, I think he is. Yeah. And you have him taking the poison. Yeah. Then you've got Willie going after the diamond. He's going after the poison. Yeah, using the gong as a shield. Exactly. The car chase, which was which is, once again, brilliant. And then it's a 
first one that I had a huge like I rewatched it recently, I completely forgot about it. Oh, the young Young Indiana Jones played by Brooklyn Phoenix. Yeah. No, Brooklyn Phoenix? Brooklyn River Phoenix. River Phoenix. <laughs> um, and you just have that one's just brilliant. Yeah. Like every detail about it, even down to him like whipping like the line and accidentally catching his chin so you can see how Indiana Jones got the scar. Yeah. Um so we see how he gets his uh, fear of snakes. Yeah. We have but like honestly, like of all of the endings, that one is an eleven out of ten in my opinion. Like Yeah. I, I don't normally like doing that, but it's oh, so good. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, the that beginning then ties into goes into what the modern day of that film is, where they're on the ship. Yeah. You know, he's going oh, after the same other bats and it's like, you know, such a great callback. And it works for the rest of the film. Like I said in my episode on, on that one, um, it kind of even leads into like the father-son relationship because Harrison Ford is so annoyed at his dad's obsession finding the Grail. Yeah, but he had this obsession. It sets everything up really well. Yeah, doesn't it? It sets everything up incredibly well for that film. But then King of the Crystal Skull. It's a bit harder to clarify that one though because no, no, no. The, the opening kind of. I would say leads into the rest of the film. I would say the opening for that one's a warehouse where they get in. What? So is it the warehouse sequence all the way up to when he gets nuked in a fridge? Would you say as I, far as that? I would say the nuke the fridge part of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people will know my thoughts on that. I didn't like it. Um, I would say that's not the intro, but I suppose there is an argument there. Yeah, because uh, he obviously escapes the, the warehouse sort of area in that rocket car. Yeah. Or, you know, the test rocket. And then uh, ends up in the nuke town mm. and gets blown away in a refrigerator, which is, which is still amazing. It's still absolutely brilliant. I mean, the way I'd put it, like, in my episode of King of Crystal Skull is Indiana Jones films always have that ridiculous scene. Yeah. That one went too far for me. <laughs> I guess we all have our limits. <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously, and then I think I agree with you on the opening. Uh, I think it's still enjoyable. It? And it does set up the film yep. going forward because it introduces us to, um, you know, the short. Shaw's character, yeah. who we'll come into it later, and it also introduces us to the Dial of Destiny yes. subplot, and our villain as well. Mm. So I suppose it's technically a very good opener. Yeah. I enjoyed it, mm. but... Not as good as the other one. The other ones, I was literally sat there smiling, going, oh, this is Indiana Jones, and yeah. I had that feel. I will say I didn't have that same feeling with this one. With I still in, yeah, I still enjoyed it. Yeah. But, yeah. That's cool. Right. Anyway, so then... We go forward in time to 1969. Yeah. We have the moon landing. We have the moon landing. We do. And actually, I'll just break away a little bit. I liked the fact that they leaned into the idea of Nazi scientists being hired by NASA yep. to help land on the moon because that actually happened and it's a really good premise for an Indiana Jones What's Yeah, so yeah, leaning into Operation Paperclip, you know, we're recruiting German scientists, uh, you know, based on the race against the Russians to grab as many German scientists as they could. So I think that was a good good way of bringing the characters into it. Honestly, I think it, I would even go as far as saying it was the best way you could have Nazis as a villain in this film. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. You know, the, it's the best way of them bringing Nazis back mm. into it. Um, but basically, uh, so we, we go to 1969 and it's very clear immediately that we have an Indiana Jones who's sort of down on his luck mm. he's we start he's in a chair he's falling asleep in front of the TV he's got a scotch in his hand that's empty yeah and it becomes very clear he's got a bit of a drinking problem now mm-hmm. um his uh, I mean it's it's not really a spoiler because it's at the beginning of the film so I will talk about it it's quite clear that his his marriage has kind of fallen apart yeah which was a bit after like the last film which did come out Borderline 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, wasn't it? Uh, right. 2008, so longer than that. Oh, wow, longer. Wow, okay. Yeah, really. we're talking 15 years. Yeah, so, yeah, it came out like 15 years ago. Um, yeah, and obviously ending on a relatively high note in getting married to uh, Marion. Yeah. It's quite, quite sad to see, but yeah. it didn't feel out of place. It was, well, the way I said the the love story in Kingdom of Princess Skull, regardless of my feeling on that, I did do think it's actually the best love story in any Indiana Jones film. Yeah. Because I think it's very satisfying and I loved seeing Karen, Karen Allen back. Yeah, I, I've got mixed feelings because I think you do want that happily ever after. But at the same time, I do understand why they did this. I, I, I think I'm okay with it. 
Yeah, well, I think it, it's putting Indy in sort of like a... It's, it's sort of like a, a low point towards the end, end of later days of his life, yeah. essentially. And as much as like it pains me to see him in that way, I don't think it's entirely inappropriate, though. I think it kind of fits with his character in a weird way. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a fact of life at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, um, these things do happen. And yeah. despite the fact that, yeah, Indy is one of our heroes, um, this is what happens to real people. Mm. Um, yeah, well, we can, we can get into details around the specifics of it maybe in part two. I think, I think so, because that's yeah. one of the big spoilers. Yeah, so we can get into specifics of that in part two, but... I I think it's I'm I wasn't I wasn't like angry at it. No, I can imagine there'd be a lot of people that would would see it quite unfavorably, but I didn't find it too. I will admit, I had seen a few spoilers before, so I made it okay. because I was prepared for it. Yeah. Um, but I I yeah. So he's down as luck. He's in a small apartment. Uh, you've got his neighbors who are constantly blaring music, mm-hmm. and you've got Grouchy Indy essentially. Grouchy Indy, yeah. He's turned into his dad. Yeah, <laughs> and then you sort of see a sequence where he's taking the subway to the uni, where in all the other films, you know, you had uh, <laughs> the, the girl sort of sitting there, like, staring adoringly at Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know, clearly they're all there just for one thing. Yeah. The love of archaeology. Of course, yes, the love of archaeology. You can see it in there quite a bit. But in this one, all of the students are kind of bored. Yeah. Because uh, I guess at the time of this, the the big talking point is the moon landing. Yeah. And that obviously is quite a big part of the start of the film. Well, like you see in this scene where he's in the um, in the lecture theatre. Yeah. Literally people burst through the doors with a TV and like, we did it. We're on the moon. Yeah. So. Throwing off the astronauts. Yeah. So I think it's the astronauts returning home, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah. So oh, okay. I guess them returning home. And they've been recovered. Yeah. Okay. Um but yeah, so Indiana Jones leaves and we find out that he's been with the university for X amount of years and he gets like a prize, mm-hmm. which he then gives to a tramp. Yeah, uh, a very, very funny scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's around this point we get the introduction to Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, Helena Shaw. Mm-hmm. Got into my feelings on her character in a little bit. Um, but the introduction-wise, I thought the introduction was fine. Yeah. Like, you know, she was the daughter of Basil Shaw. Yeah. We find out that, again, well, it's not really a spoiler because it's very early on in the film, but like, um, we find out that Basil isn't alive anymore. Yeah. And she basically says that she's about to do her PhD and she's doing it on the um, the Dial of Destiny. Dial of Destiny. Yeah. Bringing them back into the pot, hmm. which Indy has been in possession of for some time. Yeah. We also, we also find out that Indiana Jones is her godfather. Yeah. But he hasn't seen her since he was 12. Yeah. So, you know, she she's come over like basically wanting to do her research onto the Dial of Destiny, but it becomes very clear that there's a little bit more to it than that. Just a bit, yeah. Yeah. And this is where um, we are reintroduced to our villain, who didn't die nope. from getting utterly sopped in the face. Somehow not mutilated already. Yeah. So he still had a, the wonderful face of Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Uh, he turns up uh, looking for the dial. Mm. Um, I don't know why... Now he's looking for it of all the times, but he does make it very clear. He worked on the moon landing. He's worked on the projects, like various different American projects before that. And he's now back on his, his quest. Yeah. he. It seems like he, he was sort of always ticking things off his list. So the moon landing was one, he's conquered space. And then he's like, now I want to conquer time. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Indiana Jones takes um, Helena back to his office where he has the Dial of Destiny. It's in the archives, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. We don't necessarily know how he has it at this point. Mm-hmm. We sort of have hints, yep. but we don't know properly. And this is where things start getting a bit messy. So Alan Shaw is being followed by this woman who's named Mason, who's sort of part of the CIA. Mm. But she's trying to help our like, villain. Yeah. Because obviously at this point, because of Operation Paperclip, uh, the character of Walla, it does work for the United States in- government. So he obviously want he's probably made his case that he wants to try and retrieve the dial, and therefore the CIA are involved in this. Yeah, it's the the character of Mason supporting him. So, but I don't know how to feel about her character to be honest. What uh, Helena or uh, Mason? No, Mason. Oh, okay. So it feels like 
almost straight away, uh, Voller's got his henchmen. He's got two two guys that work for him. Who one of them is a bit of a, a psychopath. Yeah. Another one yeah. is the is the generic Indiana Jones massive muscular man who will be who will be fought later. Yes. Um, and they very quickly go. They're very clean CIA agents. They work directly for him, and they kind of take things a little bit violently. And Mason reacts to this in CIA fashion by basically just going, wow. Yeah. Hey, no, no, no that, How could you just shoot innocent people in the middle of a building, three US citizens? And it's it's like, maybe yeah, as a CIA agent, you should have a bit more control over the people that you're working with, essentially. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, so they basically get to the point where they found Harrison Ford. Bear in mind, several people are dead. And we're talking innocent people, just like Universal professors yeah, secretaries that kind of thing because they want to get the darn there can be no witnesses mm. Mm. and so Indiana Jones has shown the dial to Helena mm-hmm. Helena basically takes a dial and runs off through a gate when the villains come yeah and then locks Indiana Jones in with these villains who well, are Helena's Helena show, shows her true colours and then she's not there for a PhD she's solely there for the dial yes and in the first instance of um her character not being the best fan of Indy locks him in a archive with people who most likely are there to kill him. I will admit, I didn't like this. No, I it wasn't a great introduction to her character. I think, I the way I kind of saw it, I've seen a few people have disagreed with me online and they claim that she is what I'm about to say, she's not. Mm. But I feel like Disney were trying to learn their lesson from Ray from Star Wars because mm. they made this perfect character who was boring yeah and somehow overpowered yeah ridiculous to be honest i feel like they tried to make her flawed yeah which is good but they went too far yeah it, because it, it didn't seem like just gen like general um apathy for the people around it it's it seemed more malicious in the way yeah. that she did it and it just it came across as that watching it, it she felt more malicious in her actions yeah like i i think as soon as you're locking Indiana Jones in the room to die, that's yeah. a bit too dark for yeah. me. And um, this obviously leads into the our, our, our first big chase of the main film, where Helena's uh, obviously trying to get away with the dial, whilst um, Indiana Jones is trying to go after her, additionally with the CIA and the, the Nazi scientist. I will admit I did like the scene. I thought the scene was good. Yeah, I, I liked him so getting into the parade on a horse, getting yeah. cake, all of that was great. The running down the tracks in the train, you know, you know, galloping down the train tracks, all of that. Yeah, that was good. That, that felt, yeah, that's a good sequence. I also did quite like when Indiana Jones finally got out of the room and saw the dead bodies. He looked, he was visibly shaken by it. Yeah. Because it kind of did go into the idea that, like, he's been stagnant for so many years, he's not been the adventurer, and this stuff now shocks him. Yeah, and one is his colleagues as well. Yeah. He works with yeah, people Percy for a long time. Yeah. I I think I think that was good because it would have been really easy at that point. And I think there are a lot of directors who have just had him almost brush it off. Yeah. And it's good they didn't do that. No, yeah. I think that was a, a good addition for his character. So um he um uh, manages to get away from the, the CIA. Does he I can't remember where he goes after that though. Where does he go after that? Remember he gets on the he gets on the train. Yeah. And they, they drive off, and then the next time we see him, he's standing outside the window. Looking. Oh, yeah, because he goes and meets up with um, Sala. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was very excited to see Sala. Yeah. So, and obviously, after the chase, Indy knows that he can't go back to his home because they know who he is. So, we get reintroduced to... Sala. Yeah. <laughs> John Reese Davis. I was, I knew he was in the film, but yeah. he's always... I don't care how big his pie is. He's always welcome in my book. Yeah. Like... um. It was a, a very good addition to the Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I was feel uh, like a very good addition, and it was lovely seeing him again in this film. I, I kind of like that we do get a bit of bridging the gap here because we find out that Indiana Jones has helped him come to America yep. from Egypt, mm-hmm. and he's got his family, but he does miss his home, and I think that's kind of a nice little, just a little bit of detail to fill in the gaps of like how he got there. Yeah, basically, in the, um, how does he find out that she's going to? No, so the, this is another thing with the film, is that everyone seems to know where everyone else is going. So he immediately knows that she's going to be heading to Tangier to sell the artifacts because somehow Indy is aware that that is where 
the market is that people sell these sort of artifacts. Yeah. And not only does, is India aware of this, but our villain Vola also is aware of this. But it's, it's just how everyone seems to know where everyone else is heading, and they don't do a very good job of explaining yeah. how, they, how they're how they aware of this. So he uh, books himself a flight, he flies off to Morocco, the bit, Tangier. The bit that I find quite funny here is Salah goes, I bought myself a ticket as well, I want yeah. to go with you. And then Indiana, Indiana Jones just goes, no. No. <laughs> Which I was, to be honest, I was actually surprised by it. I thought that John Rhys Davis was going to have was going to go with him. I was kind of hoping he was, but at the same time, John Reese Davis is 79, so maybe he didn't want that big a part. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that's the case. Yeah. Same thing, Yeah, but I mean, it does enable him to focus more on Indiana Jones and yeah. not, not take away from his character. Maybe, maybe that's what it was as well. Maybe yeah. it's a case of not overfostering. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Another, I think it's good that they do that. Mm. So, they obviously goes to Tangier. They, he ends up going to the dealership where the... Um, Helena is trying to sell the artifact to all these various different criminal people yeah. for a massive sum and he interrupts them in the middle of the dealings and then as he's doing that the Germans turn up as well and interrupt them in the middle of the dealings <laughs> and it's like it's one so this isn't the first instance of everyone seems to be in this, the same place at the same time yeah. all the time it, or it just it occurs a lot during the film yes and so this is the first, and this is the first instance of that where everyone just happens to be in the same location at exactly the same time, exactly where they need to be at the right time. Yes, actually. And um, yeah, yeah. So th- this is where obviously each party is trying to get hold of the dial, and unfortunately, our villain Bio manages to grab it, um, which begins a chase after the dial, but is sort of interrupted by the appearance of a mafioso member. Yes. Who is in love with Helen. <laughs> and basically ends up with the mafia chasing after them. <laughs> so it turns into a borderline four-party race to get the dial, which I feel was unnecessary. We also get introduced to... we Well, you got, like, Helen who kind of acts as Indiana Jones' sidekick. Yeah. But then Helen has got her own sidekick in oh, Teddy, like the, the small child. Yeah. Who... I don't mean to be, you know, I don't want to be mean to a child, essentially, but I thought he was probably my least favourite character in the film. I feel like they were trying to do a short round. They were, but the problem is, short round's such an iconic character, and he's so well played, and what, like, Everything Everywhere All At Once has come out, which is a phenomenal film, which he's, he's in, and he's unbelievably wholesome in that. Don't try and do a short round. You're not going to be able to do a justice. No. And I think that's the whole approach they tried to do with him. And I I feel like he is a character that you could have probably taken out of the plot and it would have still made sense. Well, like we were talking about after we went to see it, he was a convenient plot device. Yeah. And I'm not going to go into this too much because it's really more for next episode. Yeah. I felt there was a particular point where his character completely changed for no reason. Okay. Yeah. We'll get into that a bit later. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, this is where we have this massive chase against the mafia trying to chase down Helena because she refused to marry him and he wants to like chop her head off or yep. something. Which I feel was just totally unnecessary. They could have done a chase sequence where it's them just trying to go after the Nazis. Yeah. Um, and they, I don't think they needed to throw in the Moroccan mafia as well. My my thought on this scene is, again, it was a very entertaining chase scene. I did enjoy it. I sort of felt like it could have been... I, I, I liked it, but I felt like it could have maybe been a bit shorter. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it came too quickly after the last one. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, in the in the Avengers, there's a lot. There's meant to be a lot of chase sequences. It's, it's like an action and adventure, but I felt like this one was redundant. Yes, I agree. Um, and I think the main thing that this does is sets up a partnership between Indiana Jones and Helena. Helena Shaw, who at this point, I'm still not. I I still I felt like even when it came down to the dialogue for her part, you know, she's supposed to be the quick-witted, funny character. Yeah. But I actually thought the dialogue was really poor, to be honest. Yeah, and the way that she kind of views Indy's quite hostile, pretty much yeah. all of this, isn't she? And uh, especially the kid as well. The kid just seems to be hugely disrespectful. To yes, yeah. 
it's, it's just like what like a, a, the quick witted is <laughs> you're old yeah <laughs> you're old yeah <laughs> just what you're old <laughs> and it's like it's just a bit tiresome by the end to be honest yeah. i'm not saying don't do any old jokes but mm. spread them out yeah <laughs> so yeah this is this is where they set up basically an alliance of convenience yes two of them yeah it definitely seems like that and um because they um because Vola gets the no they have the device don't they they have the device but basically we find out that um helena needs indy yeah um because so they have to travel to greece to find a, a boatland to get out to a ship to find out oh, about it yeah because he has he has the resources to get them where they yeah need to go. yeah basically he's got so the helena knows where they need to go and indiana jones has the resources to get them there mm. essentially so yeah, so they that's where they get to the ship with uh, Antonio Banderas as generic Spanish man Ronaldo. Yeah, and I think it's going to be best to save our discussion on whether we what we think of his character yeah. next episode. But we're just going to include him in this little bit. Yeah, because he's obviously part of the plot. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So they get out into um, the middle of the ocean and they find the shipwreck. Uh, how do they find it? You were saying a second. Yeah. So. Um, so Helena reveals that her father was essentially obsessed over the dial and he spent much of his remaining life uh, researching into it. And based on his research, uh, he discovered that where they found the first part of the dial, which was in a Roman galleon near Greece, um, there's a second part of the galley that fell further down onto the seabed floor, which contains a map to part two of the dial. And what basically the ship was trying to do was that they were searching for the second part of the dial the Romans were yeah. and I hate to do this but this is a point where I think a lot of the spoilers come in or they, the ones that would ruin the film Yeah. if I was to talk about them so we are going to end this episode here and the next episode is going to be the spoiler filled one for those who either just don't care or more really for the people who have already seen the film yeah Overall, at this point in the film, how are you feeling about it? Um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to really explain at this point because I think the films relied a lot on kind of convenience and contrivances to kind of get us to where we are. We, at the moment, a lot of the characters we've been introduced to just feel like throwaways. Yeah, and yeah, it's, I, I feel like it's uh, well, yeah, it hadn't really done anything to really reel me in. Up, up until this point yeah i i would agree i think it hadn't actively hasn't actively stopped me from you know wanting to watch on yeah which is good i think at this point i'm not liking phoebe waller bridge's character at this point no i think she's coming across as quite nasty and sarcastic and i get like sometimes there are certain actors that can overcome that i don't think she is at this point yeah I guess so. Well, I mean, you know, it's the spitefulness or the malice that's yet to be that she seems to have towards Indiana Jones' character that doesn't feel right. Um, I mean, I get why they've tried to write it that way, mm. but it doesn't, yeah, the fact that she's had like basically two attempts to try and kill him. Yeah. You know, it, it just feels a bit weird. It's too far. Yeah. Um, I, I think at this point, I would be giving this film. I'm not going to give it a rating, actually, because I don't think you can. You can't, no. You haven't watched the full thing. I still want to see where the story is going. Yeah. But at this point, I was a little bit... It hasn't really been anything that really drew me in. I yeah. Think, you know, the the bad C, the bad CGI, especially for the opening, was... You know, I, I was sitting there at this point going, okay, this is going to be yeah, pretty mediocre at this point. You know? <laughs> I think that's the thing. The, 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 the first part of this film is quite mediocre. Yeah. However, are we going to see an improvement on that? Mm. I think you're going to have to listen to the next episode to find out. Though I will say, yes again, there's going to be a lot of spoilers in the next episode. So if you are one who doesn't like spoilers, as I will admit I am, watch the film before listening. Yeah. I, I really urge you to do that. Yeah. Like, I still recommend this film. Go out and watch it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I recommend giving it a watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say you know definitely don't tune into part two if you want to avoid the spoilers for it. If you have intentions of watching this film, you know go and watch it. Yeah. If you don't intend to watch it and want to listen anyway, yeah, tune in part two. The the point is there are significant spoilers in the watch. Oh yes. 
anyway um thank you very much for listening i hope you have the good rest of your day and well hopefully see you tomorrow if you've seen enough film yeah <laughs> <laughs> or if you have no interest in it <laughs> right okay bye see you then bye <laughs>